for a quick recap, if I can recap very quickly what last week's experience or message was all about, I would say this, that it is amazing to know that when you're going through problems, God is walking it with you. It's better that Jesus is walking with you than for you to be going through it completely alone. That's the really the summary of everything that was spoken of last week. Because we get we get we get messed up in our thinking. When problems hit us and our reaction is to be mad at God. That's messed up theology. That's this wrong emotions, that's wrong thoughts, unfortunately, but it's happened to me. It's happened to you. Where we, it, it can, we, we kind of take the first hit, like a wave hits you, and you're like, oh, it's okay, God. I, I'm just so thankful you're with me. And then the second wave, and then the third wave, and by the fourth wave, you go, well, God, now I'm just mad, you know? <laughs> I don't got that faith like I had from the first wave. Now I'm just mad at you. What are you doing? But, <laughs> but really what you need to say is God, never, God has never orchestrated or planned evil or wrong for your life. Never. His plans are good. He's got good thoughts for you. So what's happening then? Well, he's, he promises that he's going to walk through it with us, you see. And that's really where you kind of start to feel that overcoming faith come over you. When you get off that blaming God and get on that, thank you, God, you're with me, that I'm not doing this alone. Amen? I want to read to you Lamentations 3 tonight. And what I want you to see when I read this is all the absolutely horrible things that this individual is going through. Okay? And it's one thing after the next. But then you're going to see his response at the very end. So he's going to describe and list one thing after the next. And you're going to think to yourself, this could more be listed. And then you're going to hear more. And then he'll quickly say something about amazing about God at the end. I want to, we'll talk about it, though. Starting in verse 1, Lamentations chapter 3 says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has churned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distressed. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains and though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made the target of and made me the target of his arrows. He has shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me all day long. They sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He 
has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. We can go through a lot in this life. We do go through a lot in life And then a few simple words from God will bring healing to our hearts and allow us to move forward with faith. I believe what's happening here in Lamentations 3 is that this man has experienced something absolutely horrible. And at first he thought it was all God doing it to him. But then then something shifts in his language here and he realizes, I don't think the God was the source of any of this. I think all my own decisions and my own mistakes and my own shortcomings have led me down this horrible path. Really what it sounds like to me after I read this a few times, it really sounds like to me that this man has died and gone to hell and somehow been brought back to life and realized he needs the Lord. And that it's better to be alive with tragedy in this life than to be dead in the next and in hell. You still have hope in this life. You still have somebody, there's still hope in this life, even when it feels like all hope is lost. The only hopeless situation you could ever find yourself in is if you've died and gone to hell. Because in this life, even on your worst day, there's tons of hope all around you. There's somebody to call. There's a, there's a, there's a neighbor who you could talk to. There's, there's a coworker who could listen to you talk about your anguish. There's a spouse at home who, who would listen to you cry out in pain. There's something, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope somewhere that's going to be offered to you in this life. And I think he's realized this. I think he, some, something happened to this man where it's what he's describing here. This sounds like hell. It doesn't sound like a bad week. He's chewing on gravel. He's, lo- he's, he's without, he's lonely. He's got no peace. Something is, is happening to him. It's like he has experienced a world without God. But then he realizes something happens. I think he's brought back to life. And I think he realized, whoa, my, all my life's decisions have led me down the wrong road. Because you can just sense it. When he says here, he says as faith. He says, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. I just think that he had spent much much of his life not depending on God and not searching for him, but maybe cursing him and living without him and in spite of him, right? Man, there's a spirit that's alive these days. It's, It's more active than ever before. It's the Jezebel spirit. It's alive, it's active, it's here today. It's, it's not a spirit that just works itself out only in women either. It's, it's an equal opportunity spirit, both men and women. It can rest on us both. And I really think it's very much alive today. It's a nasty spirit. 
The Jezebel spirit is actually seen three times in the scripture. Isn't that crazy? First time you see it is in the stories about Jezebel. You can read it for yourself in 1 Kings chapter 18. The Jezebel spirit is a spirit of lust and a spirit of death and depression. And she kills thousands of prophets. Scares Elijah to death even. Again, we see the Jezebel spirit active in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 14, the Jezebel spirit was all over King Herod and the wife of King Herod and the daughter of King Herod. As we find in scripture where King Herod is, is his wife, he marries his brother's wife, his sister's, I don't know who he marries. What is it? He marries his sister-in-law. So he marries his brother's wife. Okay, he marries his brother's wife and John the Baptist calls him out for this perversion, this spirit that's inside of him. Makes King Herod upset, makes the, his wife upset. But King Herod is throwing a party and his wife, now she has her daughter come in and do a very sexual dance for the men. That's nasty, isn't it? Her own daughter's coming in to do a sexual dance for her husband? See, it's nasty spirit. And he is so pleased with this dance, he says, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. What do you want? And the Jezebel spirit arises again of manipulation and death. And and his wife says, "Uh, give me John the Baptist's head. And so this spirit works out here in in Matthew 14 with with the murder of John the Baptist. And then we see it again in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. I'll read that verse to you. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Man, she was a nasty woman. She was so nasty and so mean, man. When she threatened Elijah, he ran far away, scared, depressed, hid in a cave, and asked God to kill him. Kill me. You know, Jezebel has children. They're alive today. These are her four children. And maybe they're tormenting you today. Fear, discouragement, depression, and lust. And these four can work together to accomplish one goal, to keep you from moving forward at any means necessary, even unto death, to prevent you from moving forward. They'll prevent you from moving forward with your physical, natural life. They'll prevent you from moving forward in your calling. They're going to prevent you from moving forward in your ministry. The Jezebel spirit would love nothing more than to get you so down, so out, so full of fear, so insecure that the thought of leading anything or voicing your opinion on anything scares you to death. You'd rather, you'd rather die than public speak, you know, You'd rather give up. You'd rather run away than confront an issue or lead a, lead a ministry or lead a connect group. You'd rather leave all your friends than to be asked to do anything for the kingdom. 
because it's full of fear. You're full of, you're discouraged. You're depressed. You're, you're just got all these issues and all these things work together to prevent you from moving forward. And that spirit is so alive today. So alive today. And if you're struggling with any of these areas, there is hope for you tonight. Say amen. Because Revelation 2, verse 25 through 26 says, But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the power over the nations. We've got to face our fears with faith. I remember when I got COVID. And I remember back when my family was getting COVID and my friends were giving COVID. And when and and. And I'd love to say that as a pastor and a ministry leader that I face this with faith and an overcoming spirit and I wasn't scared at all. I'd, I'd love to be able to just boast about all that up here right now, but I'd be lying to you. Because I remember getting COVID and I remember laying in bed at night full of fear, testing my deep breath. How's my breath? How's my lungs? I mean, I started talking to myself sick, more sicker than I really was. Anybody else there with me? Just terrified, full of fear. My family's getting COVID. I remember doing just fearful prayer walks. Lord, you've got to heal my family. You've got to heal my friends. You've got to heal these people in the church. You've got to do these things and all these things. And I'm, for me personally, the fear of COVID was worse than COVID for me. It's like there's this fear just overtook me. Fear overtook so many with this. It, it just started crippling me. But there's a key to overcoming something like this. And you got to feed your mind a steady diet of prayer, worship, and God's word. You got to just get, sometimes you got to get serious about it too. You got to turn, you got to turn worship music on in the house just as you're doing something, just going about your day. You got to hear truths being spoken over you from the word of God. You got to feed yourself a steady diet of prayer, worship, and God's word. There's an awesome story in the Bible about Jesus just facing fear with faith. And he could do things that we can't do, but so he's amazing. But let's just read this story because, you know, it's, it's kind of long. I don't know if I can read the whole thing, but let me start it off with this, is that Mark chapter 5, Jesus was in this boat, and he crossed over to the other side, and this huge crowd meets him on the other side. And immediately, this man arrives and says to him, his name is Jairus, and says, my, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. And so Jesus is responding to this request. But as he's walking along, the crowd is pressing in on him so much. Everybody's pressing in around him as he's walking through town. And all of a sudden he stops and says, who touched me? And this is where the woman with the issue of blood comes in. I felt my power go out from me. What's going on here? And so we get this big sidetrack story of the woman with the issue of blood. And honestly, most preachers preach the story of the woman with the issue of blood. But I believe in Mark chapter 5, there's this amazing thing happening. Is that there's this request from this man named Jairus. His little daughter is sick unto death. And he's just so, he could tell, fear. All over this man, Jairus, as soon as Jesus steps foot on the shoreline, Jairus is right there. You've got to come. You've got to come right now. But on his way, the crowds, and I bet Jairus is just angry. Get out of the way. Right? Let him through. 
He said he was going to come to my house. He said, he said he was going to come to heal my little daughter. Would you get out of the way, Jesus? Don't stop. Don't talk to that woman. Who is that woman? Get that woman out of here. I bet Jairus is ticked. I bet he's full of fear. I bet he's anxious. I bet he's angry. I bet he's got all the emotions of, of I've seen people in the hospital I, myself. I remember I, I had my daughter in the hospital one time. Her breathing, she was going horrible with her breathing. She had uh, croup or something like that. It was real horrible. Nasty case of croup. And she already has incredibly small airways because of Down syndrome. And she was barely breathing. And I noticed she started getting worse laying in the hospital bed. And there was nobody around. I freaked out. I yelled at the top of my lungs. Get over here. You idiot. You know, like. <laughs> And they all rushed over because I got angry. Save her. I bet that's what Jairus is doing here. I guarantee you that's what he's doing here. And then it picks back up after Jesus has this whole interaction with the woman with blood. So let's pick it up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Could you imagine? The devastation, the emotion, the feelings this man has. He tried his hardest. He did everything he knew how to save his daughter. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with them and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Jesus is the only one who can say, why are you making all this commotion? And I don't speak that to you tonight. I don't speak to you tonight. I don't know what are you all fussing about because I'm fussing right there with you. I'm making commotion. I came home from work on Thursday. I was all frustrated about things. I, and I complained to my wife for a long time over the phone and when she got home and it continued for even beyond that I was frustrated I was upset and you know what things didn't get better as the weekend went on and (laughs) the week began things weren't getting better either and I was fussing but you can hear Jesus speak to you why are you making all this commotion Jesus knows he's, he's the healer he knows the healer has just stepped into the room amen He was about to display his love and kindness, and he's about to give these people some more faith. Let me pray over you tonight to have just more faith. And I love it that faith faith can arise because God comes in the room and does something amazing. That's what makes faith arise. Because you only need a mustard seed. You only need a mustard seed. God does all the rest. And let me just pray over you quickly here, just a moment, just to, that something amazing would happen for your faith to just grow tonight. Lord God, we do pray that there would be 
a miracle intervening moment for them soon, Heavenly Father, where you step in and fix the problems, Lord God, the financial problems, the sickness, the diseases, the, the broken relationships, the loneliness, the anger, in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen. And I told you, sometimes you got to have, you got to face fear with faith. But also, you know what you got to do? We cannot leave the other side of this out. If I just tell you, face fear with faith, you really don't, it, it doesn't do much for you. It doesn't do much for you. There's a second side of this coin. If you don't address the other side of the coin, you don't leave here feeling good. You actually leave here feeling a little bit like you're missing something. And the part you're missing is this, is God asks us to confront the fear. That's the part you're missing. Because faith is not the denial that a problem exists. Which when I tell you, just have faith over fear. It's like I send you out pretending the problem doesn't exist. That's not what faith is about. Faith is not the denial that a problem exists. You've got to confront your fears. David confronts Goliath. Amen? John the Baptist confronts King Herod. You've got to confront it. Jesus confronts the Pharisees. Jesus confronts Judas as he, Judas kisses him. Confronts him face to face. And I'll encourage you with this. I encourage you with this. If you're sick, go to the doctor. Confront it. Amen? Confront the fear. Focus on God. You've got to get at the fear. Amen? And fear has a shelf life. It doesn't live forever. It's like at the grocery store. Everything there has a shelf life. You ever thought your vitamins just were forever vitamins? <laughs> you go in there, you're like, well, you're like, whoa, 2012, you know, expired. Or like season, like seasonings. They don't last forever, right? Salt can lose its saltiness. Things don't, they don't last forever. Things have a shelf life. You don't think they do, but they do, right? Because how <laughs> that, that, that bottle of garlic salt you're the shaker of garlic salt, you know, that you've been using for the last 14 years. Yeah, it's got a shelf life, believe it or not, you know. And uh, so fear has a shelf life. And if you confront it, it dies. Amen? You don't make your decisions based on fear because those fears don't stick around to see the outcome. They leave you hanging high and dry and a new fear steps in. Worse one than the one before that, too. If you don't confront it, it grows. It grows, it gets bigger, it gets nastier, and it gets harder to defeat. And if you don't defeat the fear the first time or the giant the first time, God will not let you pass through until you confront it. You've got to get at it. But you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. You just don't know it because you haven't operated in it yet. You, don't, you haven't experienced it yet. But you realize the giants are not as big as they think, as you thought they were. They're weaker than they project to be. Their voice is strong, but their muscles are nothing. That's true. And they fall rather quickly. 
And failure is not to be feared. It's not the end of the world. I preached on it on Sunday. But these are major giants that we paint to be very, very large. But they're actually very weak if you're brave enough to confront them. We got to make our decisions on faith because faith has no shelf life. It doesn't expire. It doesn't quit. It doesn't stop. That's why we make our decisions on faith because when you make your decision on faith, it's there to congratulate you when you've done it. And you feel good. You get confident. Elijah calls down fire from heaven and it consumes his altar and he had poured buckets of water all over it and there was a, 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 you know, a moat of water around his sacrifice and he calls on fire from heaven. It consumes absolutely everything, dries up the water, the rocks turn to ash. It's a miracle from heaven. It's absolutely amazing. He, and, and all the while, you know, there's just so many, so much happening around in those 450 Baals, prophets of Baal that had previously tried for hours to call down fire from their God Baal. They were cutting themselves and wailing and, and all this stuff. And then boom, he calls on fire and all this happens. He's full of so much courage after the fire of God falls that he kills 450 prophets of Baal. Crazy story, isn't it? But then Jezebel hears about this, and she, the Jezebel spirit rises up. And Elijah gets scared, and he runs away. It's like the, the, it's like the adrenaline of that experience has worn off, and he's at a low, he's tired, he's weak. And the Jezebel spirit attacks. And he's so scared of one person, even he just slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal. And one little woman steps in with a loud voice, and a crude behavior, and he runs for his life, and he's hiding in a cave. And for 40 days, he stays there, and at first, the fear is so much, it's so big when he first arrives. He wants to die, he doesn't want to face Jezebel, and for 40 days, God feeds him and gives him water from the brook, and as those 40 days go on, the fear begins to die, because it has a shelf life, and faith starts to arise. I'm sure during 40 days, God's encouraging him and speaking to him and challenging him to get, get out there, get at Jezebel, go get her. And he starts to rise up. He starts to get strong. And he started in for 40. And so then all of a sudden he goes back into town and who he was just running from. We see now in verse 19 of first Kings 21 verse 19. Listen to what he says to Jezebel. Now, thus says the Lord in the place. It's at the end. Yep. In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Well, that's different than running away, isn't it? He prophesied something. He just, God had given him a prophecy. He prophesied that over her life. And that does happen, folks. She gets thrown out of a high terrace castle by her eunuchs. And she falls down on the ground below dead. And wild dogs came and ate her up. And the only thing left was her palms and her feet. And something else, the only thing left of her, she never even got buried. 
and they and they, the dogs licked up all the blood, and she was gone. She never even had a burial. In 1995, 14 wolves were released into Yellowstone National Park. Scientists at the time did not suspect that this would radically change the entire ecosystem of the park. There had been no wolves in Yellowstone for 70 years. And during this time, the deer population grew tremendously, severely damaging all the local flora and fauna and flowers. And 14 wolves could not eat all the deer, of course, right? But they forced the deer to be more careful in choosing places to eat and to avoid certain parts of the park. In those places, the vegetation began to revive. In six years, the number of trees increased fivefold. Beavers appeared and began building dams. Muskrats, ducks, and fish bred in the brand new ponds that the beavers created. The wolves reduced the population of coyotes and jackals, which led to an increase in the number of mice and bunnies. This, in turn, attracted hawks, ferrets, and foxes to the park. Bears thrived on the scraps of prey left by the wolves. Remarkably, the wolves also changed the flow of Yellowstone's rivers. River channels straightened and stabilized, and coastal erosion decreased. This happened because the influence of wolves on deer led to the explosive growth of trees along the banks of the rivers. The story of Yellowstone wolves shows that ecosystems are complex and interconnected in ways that we may not fully understand. But when all parts are in balance, nature thrives. And there is a balance in life when it comes to fear and faith. That if you can never confront your fear, you'll never fully have faith. And I can't just say to you tonight, just have faith and ignore your fears. Because you really won't have the faith you desire. You'll still have your fear. You've got to confront your fear in order to get your faith. And you've got to believe that just a little bit of faith is enough to confront your fear. You see, i got te- I got to teach you there's two sides of the coin tonight. There's just, just one side. If you just get one side, you don't leave out of here feeling any better. And there's got to be wolves in the ecosystem. There's got to be something that the deer are scared of or else the whole thing gets off balance. And if you're running around never confronting your fears and living in a way where you think or pretending like you can just never confront anything, your whole, the whole thing falls apart on you. You don't become who you were meant to be. You don't get this beautiful life you expected you'd have. Amen? you got to confront the problem. you got to get it. Even when you're scared to death, I want to encourage you, you really are a giant killer. Even when you're trembling at your foe, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can do it. You can get after it. God is with you. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the fire, who was in the fire with them? Jesus. Jesus is walking through the fire with you. I'll be honest. I got to preach true biblical doctrine and theology here. Jesus is not your person who prevents the fire he's your person who walks with you in the fire and if you think jesus is the one who prevents the fire you're going to get angry at jesus because there's going to be fire 
And then you're going to go, where's Jesus? And he's going to say, I'm right here. I'm holding your hand in the fire. There's a fourth in the fire. Amen. Jesus is, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel. What does that name mean? God with us. It also has two other meanings. God in us and God for us. He's in us. He's with us. He's for us. He's saying to us when we're walking through the fire, you can do it. He's for us. He's not against us. You can get through this. We can get through this together. I'm in you and I'm with you. I'm not your, you know, fixer. I'm not your prevent, I'm your fixer, right? But I'm saying, trying to say like, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not our, you know, uh, person who prevents bad things from happening. He's not that, but he's in it with us. Amen? I want to end tonight with this last final point of after you do, all, you do all these things and you understand that God is with you, you understand you can face your fears, you understand that you got to have faith, you understand all these things, what do you do now? What do you do now? What do you do now? You move forward. You have to move forward. You cannot get stuck in the past or in the present. You've got to move forward. And for everybody in this room, that means something unique and different. There's a battle you're facing. Something is happening internally. You're struggling with something. You've got to move forward and face it. You've got to move forward. Look at this. Is, this is a wonderful truth. I'm going to pull out of God's word here in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 13, and then I'm going to skip down to 15 and 16. But look at this happening here, right here in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. This is David. This is King David. He says, all right. David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come. Let's jump down to verse 15. So Ishbosheth took Michal away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Behurim, weeping. As he went, then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned and the journey took a couple days from where they left, where McCall and Palti were at to Baharum. And it was days of Palti following at a distance crying because McCall was given to him 10 years ago. But Michal was first given to King David as a, as a reward for killing Goliath. Saul gave his daughter Michal to David as a reward for, give, for, for killing Goliath. But Saul is a horrible man. And in order to hurt David and get at him and make him, make him miserable, he gave Michal away 10 years ago to Palti. And did you know that David and Michal, they really loved each other. McCall protected David when Saul was after him. She chose David over her father. She, she, she never saw herself as just some sort of, of, of reward. It, her and David had a true love for one another and a connection. But yet she was given away to Palti. Poor woman. But Palti, McCall must be some sort of woman where 
she's easy to love. And, 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 and these men are attracted to her and, and love her and have, have created a bond with her. And Paul T. is so sad. And for days, he's, he's following and, and he's, he's crying and he's weeping. And I bet he's annoying Abner. And I, and, and, and I know, you know, Abner is the kind of guy, he's, he's, a, he's the kind of leader where, where he, he's, he's not going to let Pulte get too close. So I bet Pulte's got, got a stone's throw distance, distance away. And I bet they're, they're camping at night, and Pulte's got his tent, uh, you know, a stone's throw distance away, and, and they're, they're laying down and sleeping at night, and McCall and Abner and, the, and the, the troops are just sleeping at night, and in the distance they hear, McCall, I love you. Ah, and, and finally, after the days of it, he said, what, is, what happens here at the scripture? Go back home. And he left. Hmm. When you say yes to God, and this is, this is McCall is our example here. She's, she's doing the right thing. She's moving forward. She's, she's doing the right thing. And when you say yes to God, there is going to be a palty spirit from your past who's going to beg you to return. Return to your old life. The partying was so much fun. Oh, those, oh, your old friends are going to, come out of the woodworks and try to draw you back to your old life. You're going to have some sort of ex, girlfriend, boyfriend, give you a quick little message on Facebook to try to draw you away from the call of God and your family and your spouse. There's a palty spirit that hounds you that will, from your past, it will not leave you alone. But if you have said yes to God, you must move forward and leave behind Anything that's trying to pull you back, you got to move forward. You got to move forward. Don't let that pulty spirit pull on you and, and cause you to turn back. And it lies. It says things were great. You, ha- you used to have so much fun partying, but if you really remember what it used to be like, you, you hated yourself. You hated, the ne- you hated those nights. You hated the way that you felt. You hated the way that you th- were thinking. You hated everything about your old life. But yet it calls out to you and it lies to you and it tries to get you to just come on back. It was so much fun. You're not going to have any fun with this God thing. You're not going to enjoy you know, leading that connect group. You, you, you need to get your sun- Sunday mornings back. You need, you got to stop going to church. The, the golfing was much better than church on Sunday. Come on back. You got to hit the links and have a hot dog at the turn, you know. Come on back. It's awesome. You know, you don't need to go to church on Wednesdays. You got to stay home and, and, and watch uh, Survivor. Jeff Propes missed you. It airs on Wednesdays. It's this palty spirit that calls you. But McCall had something inside of her. Different. Different. I'm moving forward. I'm moving toward David. She ignored Palty for days. McCall said goodbye to the past. Amen.
I'll end with this final story. It's a true story of a man named Michael McAnally. Michael McAnally was uh, raised in a very secular home. His father was a Mormon, but not a good one. Um, much of their his childhood, from what he remembers, it, it, you know, rock and roll was God. If you're going to do anything with your life, Michael, you know, make it rock and roll. And his dad tragically died when he was 14. And so at 14 years old, he felt like he was totally alone. And as he hit adulthood, he struggled to find his way and end up turning toward alcohol. And he said that there was a part of his life where he was not sober for years. Constantly drunk for years. He was a functioning alcoholic. Every morning he'd wake up, liquor in the coffee just to stop the shakes, just to get out the door. It got so bad. He got so bad with his with his alcoholism and the way that he was living. He checked himself into rehab and even in rehab for 30 days. Still, finally, they discharged him in the very next day, right back to the liquor store, right back to the liquor store. Then hit rock bottom again. Rock bottom, again, the, the past is calling. The past is calling. Come back, come back. You've got to get back into this. And the past is calling him. He gets right back into it again and hits rock bottom, attempts suicide. It doesn't work. He, he checks himself back into a rehab center, but this one was different. This was a Christian rehab center. And he walked into that rehab center And an old man walked up to him and said, I love you, and I'm glad you're here today. And it occurred to him, he had never heard the words, I love you, spoken to him his entire life. And the words, I love you, he said it was like an arrow that hit his heart, and hope hit him for a second, a second. And hope hit him. He didn't know this man, why would he say he loves me? But it made it a positive impact on him and it turned out that he didn't realize it but it was a christian rehab center and they not only addressed the issues with therapy and 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 things like that but they started taking him through aa which is a christian based organization he started hearing about something called a higher power and he realized that was god And through the love of these people that sat around that aa meeting they would tell him every single time we love you michael we love you and he just, all this started, things started, life started welling up inside of him. He gave his life to Jesus. He started moving forward. He says, the past calls to me all the time. But I know that there's a God who loves me. And it keeps me moving forward. Amen? We've got to, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you have an overcomer standing next to you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the power of your word and these stories and, and all these, the, these things. And Lord, I know that every single one of us in here is going through something that is overwhelming them. But Lord, you are walking through the fire with us. And I say thank you, Jesus, that we are not alone. 
that we understand tonight that God loves us. And there's people in this room that love us. And so we just say, thank you, God, that there's hope in this life. There's hope for today. And everybody said, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great night, everybody.